Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Another exhausting and emotional day for families and for those searching through the rubble. The lead starts right now. The death toll rising in the Florida condo collapse and families of more than 150 people still hoping and praying for a miracle as we learn there were concerns about cracks in that building years ago. The U.S. launching deadly airstrikes in Iraq and Syria, taking out what the Biden administration calls militia groups backed by Iran. Why the White House is calling these strikes self-defense, plus time may be up for the Trump organization. The ex-president's company facing a deadline today, and at least one top executive with the company is expected to face charges as early as this week. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with our national lead. The death toll rising today in that horrific condo collapse in Surfside, Florida, outside Miami Beach, as rescue crews continue to search for any sign of life. The Miami-Dade County mayor today announcing one more person has been found dead, bringing the total number to 10, with 151 people still missing. And now we're learning about an independent report from three years ago produced for the Condo Association that detailed significant structural damage that had already happened to the building, including cracks and breaks in the concrete under the pool and parking garage. It is unclear how much or if any work had been done to repair those cracks or whether the issues in the report contributed to this disaster. As President Biden calls for a federal investigation into what happened, residents are now also now questioning the safety of other coastal high-rises in the area, and officials are trying to take steps to prevent this from ever happening again. CNN's Boris Sanchez starts us off today from Surfside. Officials pleading for patience in Surfside, Florida, and vowing to get answers. I repeat, the search and rescue operation continues. There is going to be a thorough and full investigation of what led to this tragic event. The cause of collapse remains a mystery, though a report done three years ago by a consulting company hired by the Condo Association is raising serious questions. An engineer describing major structural damage to the concrete slab under the entrance drive and the pool. The report said, quote, the waterproofing below the pool deck and entrance drive, as well as all of the planter waterproofing is beyond its useful life and therefore must all be completely removed and replaced. The 2018 survey called for quick repairs to prevent bigger problems, warning failure to replace the waterproofing in the near future will cause the extent of the concrete deterioration to expand exponentially. Emails posted on the City of Surfside's website showed the repairs would be extremely expensive, potentially more than $9 million. The report was sent to a Surfside building official, Rosendo Prieto, who two days later assured residents the tower was in very good shape, according to town meeting minutes obtained by CNN. The engineering firm, Morabito Consultants, said it had been retained this month by the Condo Association for the building's massive repair project. The company says roof repairs were taking place at the time of the collapse, 
but concrete restoration had not yet started. Prieto, who no longer works for the town of Surfside, has not yet responded to CNN's request for comment. They knew in 2018 that there was, it was, it, there was a massive threat to the building, that there was damage and yet nothing was done. So they, did they make the decision to do nothing? Did the town make the decision to do nothing? Someone knew, yet nothing was done. And Jake, we learned just a short time ago that condo owners in the building had actually approved $15 million worth of assessments for repairs on the tower back in April. Payments for those repairs were actually set to start on July 1st, exactly one week after the building came crashing down. Jake. Boris Sanchez in Surfside, Florida, thank you so much. Dozens of family members are still waiting for any news, good or bad, about their loved ones. Many are holding out hope and praying for a miracle. Let's get right to CNN's Rosa Flores. She's live from the family reunification site in Surfside. And Rosa, what have these family members been telling you? You know, Jake, hearts are heavy. We are actually across the street from this reunification center out of respect for the families. But as you might imagine, they are desperate for information. And as the days go on, that desperation grows. They want information about their loved ones yesterday. They want information that their loved one is alive yesterday. They want to learn that their loved one can be pulled alive from that rubble yesterday. And so the wait really is the worst part for these families, having to wait at this reunification center, hoping and praying for a miracle. My colleague, Nick Valencia, has been in contact with Pablo Rodriguez. His mom and grandmother lived at this, um, at this condo, and he called, um, excuse me, she called him um, the night before this collapse. And that call now means so much more she was complaining about creaking noises. Um, Pablo Rodriguez is growing more emotional um, by the day. It's more and more difficult for him to speak about this. And he's turning more towards accountability. Take a listen. As the days tick on, it's harder to hold on to any little hope that we do have that we'll be able to see them again alive. Um, it's been especially difficult this weekend because they we always come over on the weekend. We would always be together. So my son is still asking when we can call them. When are they coming over? When are we going to see them again? And uh, we can't tell him yet that he's not going to be able to see them again. And Pablo Rodriguez says that he has still not told his son about what has happened. And as you might imagine, trying to figure out the words to use to explain that to him. Now, the families asked to go to the site of the collapse, and officials say that they were allowed to go to the site, most of them, and they were able to observe what is being done to try to rescue their loved ones. Officials described that, that these family members were able to see how rescuers are using their hands to remove the rubble in buckets, how they're using large pieces of equipment to peel off and de-layer this pile of rubble to try to get to their loved ones. They also saw some of the big obstacles, like giant pieces of concrete and concrete that are the size of basketballs. And Jake, it, it is just heartbreaking to, to learn and hear about these details, because as, as you might imagine, what these loved ones were hoping to see at this collapse site is their loved one coming out of there alive. Jake. Heartbreaking. Rosa Flores, thank you so much. Let's bring in the vice mayor of Surfside, Tina Paul. Um, Ms. Paul, thanks for joining us. It's been five days since the building collapsed. Crews have obviously been working t 
tirelessly in the search and rescue mission. It's exhaustive, exhaustive sometimes dangerous work. How much longer do you expect the search is going to continue? Jake, I, I wouldn't be able to determine that, but I, I want the search to continue until everyone is found. I'm hoping we will still find survivors, but I want the search to continue until everyone is found. Um, an official from Surfside assured residents of Champlain Towers South that their building was in very good shape. This is back in November 2018, even though that same official received the report that warned of major structural damage to the tower just two days earlier. What is the city of Surfside doing to make sure that this doesn't ever happen again? Well, Jake, before I, before I answer that, I want to still speak about the victims and, and the families that are, wait, that are waiting to see if they have survivors or to find out where their loved ones are. Because right now, the, fam the families, they're homeless and they're in a hotel. And I'm just hearing now from one of their advocates that they may be having to vacate the hotels in a few days and be placed in temporary housing, which is not acceptable because a lot of funds have been raised for them and the money needs to reach them now so they can relocate in a better way so that they're not going from place to place. They're traumatized. They're, they're going through a lot and their lives need to be made easier. We're dealing with a lot of different agencies. It's a collaborative effort and I appreciate all the assistance we're getting, especially from Miami-Dade County and the rescue workers and all our neighboring municipalities. But our concern still has to be with the victims and those who are still missing. I, I will answer you though about the building. Um, I have seen the document, the report of the uh, 2018 condo um, association, uh, uh, the evaluation of what should be done. And it reads like a standard inspection report. And these are, these are things, you have to realize these buildings are old. They're, it depends on the maintenance. It depends on when they were built. And it depends on uh, the, you know, the level of maintenance they've been doing. A building like that should not uh, collapse in, in, in this sort of way based on routine maintenance. There were severe uh, issues in the report. I noted them on page seven. However, the work was starting to get underway. The, I can't speak for the building official. I was on the commission at the time and this report did not come to my attention until it was released to the media. And that's the first time I had a look at it. I never received complaints from anyone personally. I, I respond to my emails, I respond to phone calls. And the issues that were brought to my attention was the beach path being closed. And only recently we had an issue about uh, the tar mm -hmm. smell from the roof repair. So those are the only things that came to my attention. I wish something had come to my attention. I certainly would have looked it, into it. But the chain of command is that I would have brought it up with my town manager and, and then followed up with him on that. So just two follow-ups uh, to what you just said. First of all, based on what you just told me up top uh, about victims of this disaster who are staying in hotels uh, being threatened with uh, an eviction from the hotels, which doesn't make any sense, as you note, because of all the money that has been raised for these individuals, um, what is going to be done to prevent that from happening? Well, I'm not sure. I just was alerted to it, so I need to investigate that and see what can be done because, you know, we, we can't have people being sent away and going from place to place and then without an, uh, enough funds. If I was told that a single person gets the same amount of funding as a, as a family of four, 
I haven't confirmed that information, but this is concerning to me, so it's something I want to look at, and I want the public to be aware that, you know, we, we need to we need to help our, our residents more. We need to make sure that they're not just being kicked out of hotels and being sent to uh, housing somewhere, and that's also temporary. Right. I believe they're not getting the right information of what FEMA will help them with, and so there needs to be more outreach to these to these victims and displaced people so that they can not not have this on top of the burden of loss of home, loss of family. So the other follow-up I have for you, Vice Mayor uh, Paul, is um, what can be done to prevent this from happening in the future, as I don't need to tell you, but maybe our viewers are not necessarily aware. Uh, after Hurricane Andrew in the early 90s, um, there was an effort in uh, Florida, especially in areas uh, vulnerable to hurricanes, uh, to make sure that the construction was more substantial. This building was built uh, in 1981. Before that, what can be done to make sure this doesn't happen again? There is this impression, rightly or wrongly, uh, that real estate developers in Florida kind of do whatever they want to do, and, and, uh, and, and government regulators and those trying to make sure that buildings are safe are not as empowered. What are you going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, Jack, I'm speaking with my town manager and building official, and we're, we, we will, you know, we have to get through this first because we're in an emergency situation. But we want to move forward with uh, creating an ordinance that can strengthen how we inspect the buildings, how the 40-year inspection is done, how can it be done more frequently, and what else we can add to it so that we can ensure the safety of our residents. But in all reality, these certifications are done in the 40-year, um, 50-year, 60-year. We can do. We can certainly require more and start to have them done sooner. But these are standard procedures. So, in in, in my humble opinion, I do believe that there is more to this than just the uh, whether the the report about the condition of the building is is responsible for this collapse. I believe there are other factors. We hired an engineering, engineering, a structural engineering company from D.C. They've been involved with the Pentagon and several other collapses, um, KCE uh, structural, mm -hmm. and they're they are looking at everything. I'm working behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, I've brought to them a, sa uh, a satellite uh, infrastructure managing company. And I'm also gathering information from the historic preservation community okay. because they reached out to me and they feel there's a connection between the 87 Park demolition, the demolition and construction between that building and this building because they sit right next to each other. Okay. And there's virtually no space between them. So we, we are going to look at everything. Uh, we're looking at the tidal conditions and the, and the full moon at the time this happened. Uh, our, our structural engineering team are highly professional, and they are going to look at everything that is brought before them. Okay. Vice Mayor but Tina... But it is an ongoing investigation. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Vice Mayor Tina Paul, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, all of the people of Sunrise, Florida, especially those that suffered from this horrific ordeal. Thank you so much for your time today. Coming up, he struck a deal, then he stepped in it. How President Biden is trying to get himself out of a mess after nearly unraveling his own infrastructure bargain. And I know you don't want to hear this before the 4th, but there's one back-to-school item that you must check off the list now for a safe return to class. Stay with us.
In our politics lead, the White House has been in damage control mode of a sort after President Biden seemed to backtrack on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that he and Democratic and Republican lawmakers had finally agreed upon. Biden said that he would not sign that bill into law if it was not accompanied by the larger budget reconciliation package, which will contain more funding for social programs such as child and elder care and much more. And as CNN's sick Caitlin Collins reports for us now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is warning Democrats that if the budget package is directly links, linked with roads and bridges funding, that infrastructure bill could be a bridge too far. Investments will be making as President Biden attempting to salvage the bipartisan infrastructure deal he pushed to the brink. I think that the statement was quite lengthy and quite detailed in the in the president's name. The president and his top aides spent the weekend working to get the deal back on track after it was nearly derailed by his own comments. He indicated he refused to sign the infrastructure bill if it was sent to him without his American Families Plan. That statement upset some Republicans. Biden's assertion that he wouldn't sign one without the other set off a frenzy among Republicans and moderate Democrats. If only one comes to me, I'm not, if this is the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing it. It's in tandem. The president's other agenda was never linked to the infrastructure effort. Biden issuing an extraordinary statement reversing his position, saying my comments also created the impression that I was issuing a veto threat, which was certainly not my intent. That statement appearing to settle the dust for now. I certainly can understand why not only myself, but a lot of my colleagues were very concerned about what the president was saying uh, uh, on Friday. But I think the waters have been calmed by what he said on Saturday. The White House today declining to confirm that Biden will sign the bipartisan bill on its own. The White House is not going to say, yes, he will sign the infrastructure bill if it comes alone to his desk. The president expects to sign each piece of legislation into law. Senator Mitch McConnell is calling on Democratic leaders, not Biden, to separate the plans. He doesn't determine that. And so what I'm asking the president to do is to call on the majority leader and the speaker to deal with these issues separately. Democrats remain divided on how big their party should go when going it alone on infrastructure, with moderates warning they will not vote for trillions more in spending. They think in reconciliation, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and go to five or six trillion dollars when we can only afford one or one and a half or maybe two and what we can pay for, then I can't be there. But the progressive wing of the Democratic Party wants to go big. We're here to make sure that he is successful in making sure that we do have a larger infrastructure plan. Now, Jake, the White House will not say explicitly that, yes, President Biden will sign that bipartisan deal if it's the only one that comes to his desk or if it comes to his desk before that bigger Democratic-only expected reconciliation package makes its way to his desk. But if you look at the statement that they put out on Saturday afternoon, which, as you know, is pretty rare, it was a long statement that we were told was very carefully edited by his aides. President Biden said, quote, I fully stand behind it without reservation or hesitation, giving you a pretty indicate, pretty good indication of where it is that he does stand on signing that bill if it did come to him alone. But, Jake, the fact that they won't say it does speak to how delicately, although the way the White House is trying to handle this, given what happened last week. All right, Caitlin Collins with the White House, thanks so much. Let's discuss with my august panel. Uh, and it, they still are not saying we will sign the infrastructure bill if it comes alone. They're still refusing to. Take a listen to Caitlin Collins uh, talking to the White House today. 
Romney told Jake Tapper that his reading of the president's statement over the weekend was, if the infrastructure bill reaches his desk and it comes alone, he will sign it. Is that an accurate reading of that statement from the president? The president looks forward to and expects to sign each piece of legislation into law. Uh, and he's going to work his heart out getting both of them across the finish line. So the White House is not going to say, yes, he will sign the infrastructure bill if it comes alone to his desk. The president expects to sign each piece of legislation into law. This is really silly. <laughs> it's a little tedious. It's all about the sausage making of this uh, this deal. Listen, he will sign it um, when it comes across his desk. Uh, if it's first, uh, you know, if the reconciliation bill is three days later or five days later or ten days later, uh, who knows? I mean, they laid out a pretty perfect scenario, right, that both of these bills uh, would perfectly land on the president's desk at exactly the same time and the sequencing in the House and the Senate would be great unlikely, right, because of what we know about Congress. So I think they're just, you know, trying not to uh, stiff arm progressives who don't, you know, are nervous about the prospects of this reconciliation bill. But why are they so worried about progressives if it is very clear from everything we've heard from the White House, Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, is that they still plan on bringing this Budget Reconciliation Act and passing it with only Democratic votes. We know that. We all know that. So why won't they just say, yeah, we'll sign that. We'll sign the infrastructure bill. Whichever bill gets us to us, we'll, we'll sign it. I think they're just going to continue playing this sort of delicate balance between keeping progressives and moderates. Uh, and as you've pointed out, it's going to get more challenging because everyone knows what's going on here. They've admitted it. There's two tracks and they're going to uh, keep pushing for both of them. But this is why this deal is going to be so hard, because every day these questions are going to come up. Progressives are going to find new things that they're concerned about. And, you know, it's going to get tougher and tougher to maintain Republican support. So uh, it's going to be a challenge for the White House between now and, and final passage because of this reconciliation bill that looms large over this bipartisan deal that they've very carefully crafted. And still, the Republicans who were so upset, who worked on, the, on this infrastructure bill, seem to be assuaged. Mm -hmm. I mean, they seem to have been reassured, even though on Friday it looked like Biden might have blown the whole thing up. Take a listen. I am totally confident the president will sign it if it comes to his desk. I was very glad to see the president clarify his remarks. We were assured that the two would not be linked. I hope it's enough. We'll see going forward, but I'll continue to work for the bill. But you know who we don't know is on board? Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. Right. And, and I imagine he probably isn't going to be on board. The question is, can he convince those folks uh, to now uh, decamp from this bipartisan bill? I think there are 11 Republicans or so who have signed on to it. Uh, they've been reassured, as they said there. Uh, he clearly is trying to uh, toss a wrench into this whole thing, not only the bipartisan uh, part of it, but the reconciliation one as well, saying it has to be decoupled. Uh, Schumer and Pelosi have to decouple it and they haven't been willing uh, to do that. So we'll see. You know, Mitch McConnell is a clever strategist, so I'm sure he's got uh, more tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, I think Mitch McConnell will keep trying to bring up the reconciliation bill because of the price tag, which also remains in flux. Uh, you Somewhere know, between still, one and six trillion dollars in a that range. Number, <laughs> exactly. Huge numbers. So he's going to keep trying to build, bring that up to try to uh, derail this infrastructure package that he really had not voiced much support or opposition for previously. Me and Malika Henderson, Tarini Party, thank you so much. Really appreciate both of you being here. Breaking minutes ago, rockets launched at U.S. forces in Syria. Possible retaliation for the U.S. airstrikes. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee will react next live with us.
Breaking our world lead, CNN has confirmed that multiple rockets landed at a U.S. military base in Syria in what appears to have been an act of retaliation. Early reports say that no one was hurt at the U.S. base, but a U.S. defense official says it's likely those rockets were fired by Iranian-backed militias, perhaps the same ones that were targeted by U.S. airstrikes yesterday along the Syria-Iraq border. The Pentagon claims the militia groups have been attacking U.S. forces in the region with a new type of drone, which is able to evade U.S. surveillance. Joining us to discuss, Democratic Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Chairman Warner, thanks for joining us. If Iran-backed militias are responsible for firing these rockets at U.S. forces, what do you think is the appropriate response? Well, the United States obviously has the right and the necessity uh, to protect any of our troops in harm's way. I was notified this morning as chair of the Intelligence Committee that we were taking some of these preemptive strikes against some of these uh, Iranian-backed militias. Uh, This is obviously a very dangerous neighborhood. And um, uh, I expect the president and uh, commanders on the ground will will take appropriate steps. I'm glad to see that at least so far there are there are reports of no casualties. Um, but as we've as you indicated in your breaking news, you know the ability for the bad guys to constantly upgrade, whether it's use of drones or other devices that can uh, harass or or harm our troops, it's an ongoing threat. I don't disagree with your description of the bad guys, uh, but there is a question out there about why are we there? Why are we in Syria? Uh, National security reporter Spencer Ackerman, for instance, uh, tweeted in response to the airstrikes by the U.S. against these uh, Iran-backed militias, quote, the strikes happened because U.S. forces are targets of opportunity by an adversary entirely different than the one they're supposedly still there to fight. No one bothers to pretend anymore that strikes like these accomplish anything, unquote. How do you explain why we're there? I mean, I think we were there to fend off ISIS. The Iranian-backed militias are a completely different group, not even the same branch of Islam. At some point, it just becomes a a revolving, like a a vicious cycle, no? Well, Jake, you're right on that. I've seen over my decade plus a lot of bad plans around Syria. I've never seen any good plan. Um, Obviously, for a while we were there backing our Kurdish allies who were very effective in terms of pushing back on ISIS. Unfortunately, um, President Trump kind of left them in the lurch. Uh, We are seeing now in the case of Afghanistan, I think President Biden making the tough choice, but the, uh, uh, the appropriate choice in terms of withdrawing our troops um, we're trying to do that in as orderly a fashion as possible. But this region has been uh, uh, more than a bit of a mess and chaos uh, literally for the last two decades. And there's this debate going on right now in Congress about the authorization for use of military force in Iraq from 2002. Is that the authority under which these troops are there firing at Iran-backed militias, the 2002 AUMF? Unfortunately, Jake, you're right. That is, for the most part, the authority. And and my friend and partner, Tim Kaine from Virginia, has been rightfully saying under both Obama, Trump, and now under Biden, that it is time for the United States Congress to uh, get its act together. And if we want to authorize these forces, let's put our names on the board 
in authorization, not simply require allowing each of these administrations, again, literally for close to 20 years to rely on a, a legislation that was passed, I believe, back in 2002 or 2003. Right. Let's turn to infrastructure. I want to ask, would you be OK if a bipartisan infrastructure deal is signed into law on its own by President Biden with no linkage with the larger budget reconciliation package that I know Democrats also want to do. Jake, this infrastructure package, $579 billion of new money uh, in five years, biggest infrastructure investment in our country's history. And it's not just roads and bridges, it's water. It is also broadband as we were talking about off, off air, how important that is. There's a whole lot of things around moving towards a cleaner, power generation, smart grid, EV infrastructure, a lot of great things. And I hope that moves as fast as possible. But I'm also very committed, and I'm one of the, I think I'm the only so-called Democratic moderate on the budget committee. I'm prepared to work with uh, Senator Sanders and others to start down the path on a budget reconciliation process. We got to get all the Democrats on that. I think I, I intend to move forward on that kind of legislation. I was just going through some of the revenue sources, revenue sources that we couldn't use for the infrastructure package, uh, but that can be used on this reconciliation package. I don't think it's fair, and I say this as a former business guy, but I don't think it's fair that American businesses are 35 out of 35 industrial nations in terms of lowest amount of, of taxes paid as a percentage yeah. of GDP. I think there's a fairer tax system. So let me ask you about that, because the, the chairman of your committee, Bernie Sanders, he's proposed about a $6 trillion price tag for this budget reconciliation bill. Uh, your fellow Virginian, uh, Tim Kaine, he says that about $4 trillion would be okay with him. Senator Joe Manchin, who worked with you on infrastructure, he seemed to suggest his top line would be $2 trillion. Where are you? Well, Jake, that's why I get to be in the middle of these negotiations uh, is to how to find some breakthrough between where Bernie's at, where Joe Manchin's at, how much, you know, a lot of what I, I will be able to support will be based upon how much additional revenue we can raise. And there are a variety of sources there. Um, but having gone through a number of these negotiations, we, we put together a bipartisan plan back in in December, we called it the $908 billion plan. I just came out of literally weeks on in with my Republican colleagues on this record infrastructure investment. I now I'm gonna switch to where, again, I probably won't be where uh, Senator Sanders is, but I think there's a lot of uh, worthy goals in his plan. Mm -hmm. um, but I find it's better to try to negotiate that with my colleagues rather than through the press. Is it, I hear what you're saying, but is it fair to say that you start off at least somewhere closer to Tim Kaine, the, your fellow Virginia senator, around $4 trillion? You know, I wouldn't be viewed as one of the moderate guys if I wasn't more uh, on, on a plan that is going to be a little bit more moderate, but is going to also be able to be paid for. But one thing, one thing, Jake, I do want to make clear, uh, I absolutely believe when we see these record high temperatures, not only on the East Coast, but we see record high temperatures, you know, in the Northwest and Canada and elsewhere. Anyone that denies the reality and the economic duress that is being caused by climate change, obviously isn't spending a lot of time outdoors. This is a once in a generation time uh, where we can make meaningful changes 
in terms of climate, to invest in a cleaner grid, invest in cleaner vehicles, in moving towards a clean energy standard. Heck, I'm even open to a phase in on a carbon tax. But if we don't take advantage of really wrestling with climate change in a meaningful way, Mm -hmm. we're not doing our job. Democratic Senator and Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, Virginia. Thank you so much, sir. Good to see you. Thank you, Jake. If you want your teenagers fully vaccinated before they go back to school, you better get moving. The warning for parents ahead. In our Healthy Today, an urgent reminder for parents, if you want to get your kids over 12 vaccinated before school starts, this is against COVID, obviously, you need to act fast. That's because it takes five weeks to be fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, which is the only shot right now that's authorized for children 12 to 17. Dr. Ashish Jha joins us. Uh, Dr. Jha, what's your message for parents who are wavering on whether or not to get their kids vaccinated before heading back to school? Yeah, so Jake, first of all, thanks for having me back. My message is really clear. You should get your kids vaccinated. Uh, I have two teenagers, uh, both of whom have gotten vaccinated. Uh, The safety uh, profile on these vaccines are really quite extraordinary, and they're much, much safer uh, than getting COVID. So I have been encouraging of it. I've practiced it myself, and that's what I would tell parents. Yeah, our 13-year-old is uh, fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, No side effects. We're just waiting for uh, under 12 to be authorized so our 11-year-old can get it. Um, The FDA has added a warning to both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, we should note, because there is this very, very slim risk of a rare and treatable, we should note, heart inflammation condition in teens and young adults after getting the shot. What should parents know uh, about the risks here? Yeah, so look, look, nothing is completely without risk. And these vaccines, as safe as they are, uh, do appear to cause this inflammation of the heart muscle uh, in a very small proportion of of children and and a bit more often in boys than girls and young men than young women. Uh, But thankfully, most of those cases uh, resolve with no treatment at all. Uh, And a small proportion of them have ended up having to be hospitalized. Uh, It's not great. Obviously, we wish there were zero side effects. But again, the counterfactual of getting COVID itself is so much worse that to me, the risk benefit here really is a no brainer. And And even for those rare accounts when they're hospitalized, it is treatable, though. It is treatable. We have thankfully not seen anybody die of this myocarditis, this heart inflammation. Uh, we're not saying it'll never happen, but it, it, again, most of them don't need any treatment at all. They get better on their own. And the small proportion that do, they can get treatment and get better. And thankfully, everybody who's had it has recovered. The pace of vaccinations among kids 12 to 15, it's drastically slowed since late May. Dr. William Schaffner says he thinks that the Biden administration has not done enough marketing to parents about the importance of vaccinating their kids. You agree? You know, I do. I mean, the Biden administration has has been trying to get the word out, obviously, and they've been doing many things. But I think uh, we just need a a much more of a concerted effort for parents, for uh, also targeting young uh, adults who have also not been getting vaccinated in the same numbers. Uh, We've got to really ramp up our vaccination, especially with Delta variants spreading much more widely across the country. Dr. Ashish Jha, good to see you as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. One last chance for the Trump Organization today with criminal charges likely looming. That's next. In our politics lead, Trump Organization lawyers meeting this afternoon with New York City prosecutors ahead of possible criminal charges against the former president's company. 
The Manhattan District Attorney is looking into potential tax violations and illegal benefits for company executives of the Trump Organization. CNN's Paula Reid joins us now from New York. And Paula, what do we know about this meeting? Look, Jake, today's meeting, it's the second meeting between prosecutors and lawyers for the Trump Organization in just the last week, but it's not expected to change the trajectory of this investigation. Based on our reporting, we still expect possible criminal charges against the Trump Organization and longtime CFO Alan Weisselberg as soon as this week. Now, these charges stem from allegations that the company was trying to avoid paying taxes on certain benefits that it gave to employees, like free cars, free apartments, even school tuition. Now, when it comes to Weisselberg, the allegation is that he was allegedly one of the employees who received these perks. But, Jake, it's very unusual to charge a company for not paying taxes on perks like this. So we really have to see what, if any, charges are filed and how they're supported by evidence, how much they really have. They've been at this investigation for over two years, and if this is all they can come up with, it's not much. Yeah, I was going to say this is going to be very disappointing news for Trump haters out there. Is is there any chance uh, that the former president will be charged? At this point, our reporting indicates that there is no expectation of criminal charges against the former president or his family at this time. But, Jake, I will note this investigation is active. It's ongoing. All eyes are on Alan Weisselberg. Our Kara Scannell reports that he's made it clear to prosecutors he's not going to cooperate. He's not going to flip. But sometimes, after prosecutors file criminal charges, people change their minds. If he was to cooperate, that could potentially change the equation for the former president or his family. But right now, based on our reporting, there's no indication that there are imminent charges against the former president. All right, Paula Reed, New York. Thanks so much for that. Appreciate it. Family members seeing the rubble for the first time as they hold on to threads of hope that their loved ones could still be pulled out alive. The latest from the scene in Surfside, Florida. That's next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.